0: Hello, my name is John Brink and we are on the brink in beautiful Prince George, British Columbia. Northern, I always call it the capital of Northern British Columbia, an amazing place. And I know we have people watching from all over the world. You must, you must visit British Columbia. But once you visit British Columbia, Vancouver is nice, Victoria is nice. but the beauty of British Columbia is Northern British Columbia. So come to see us. What the hell? What happened? Earthquake. That was a earthquake, guys. Was actually an earthquake. Take a look. Not whole building was shaking. That—that oh. that that that, is something else. That was serious. That was serious.
1: Unreal. Wow. Something happened, guys. <laughs> so now we've had a sneeze and an earthquake. And an earthquake. Is, is,
0: the, air, <laughs> is the earthquake on there?
1: On, oh, still recording,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So leave it in there because I, in all the time I've lived here for, since 1965, we had a little earthquake in the mid-80s. And, and, and they said, did you feel it? I did not feel it. This shook the whole bloody building. This is a big, big building. The whole, did you feel it? Oh, yeah. The whole building <laughs> went like this. You know, I cannot believe it. Wow. wow. So... It's gonna be all over the place. Okay. <laughs> so, where did, we, what did I say last? Uh, I, don't, I, don't I said know. me, I think right? We're going so, and then we're hey? on the brink of beautiful <laughs> northern British Columbia. Sometimes we have earthquakes. Apparently, not very often, though. I will not scare anybody. I have a, a, an, a, an extremely interesting guest today, and her name is Allison Huskins. Hopkins. Hopkins. I'm still a little bit shook up from (laughs) there. Yeah, no, (laughs) totally. So, uh, so, Alison, uh, yeah, you felt the earthquake too, right?
1: Yeah, I think the one you were talking about the last time I was driving speed bumps across spruce land when yeah. I in the mid eighties, that the big one and I didn't feel that one, but everybody came running. But
0: but never like this never though. Like the that. whole building shook. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unbelievable. So we'll hear it all on the news and we hear it on our podcast. So can you believe it? So that so I was on the verge of introducing you. And and for that the whole building shook when they heard it was going to be you.
1: Well, I guess we'll make a little rumble today.
0: <laughs> anyway, Alison, so tell us a little bit about you. You were born in Prince George, I believe, and uh, you know the and you've been pretty much always part of Prince George, save and except for your education. So so tell me and us, my guest a little bit about you and your background.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I often, when kind of asked to share my story, even through my role at at Integris, I say I'm so incredibly fortunate to be able to, you know, be a CEO in an organization like Integris in my own hometown. So, I was born and raised in Prince George uh, as a very young toddler, spent a couple of years in Ontario, but we kind of started here left came back again yeah um, and consider myself to be kind of a, a homegrown yeah uh, from here kind of gal
0: Well, your whole career is based there and most of your life has been here or pretty well all of it right oh, pretty
1: well yeah and, yeah. and
0: then uh, you know the uh, so you got your education here and uh, did high school here probably and then you went to SFU mm-hmm. and you studied there and you started business did you start with that the whole idea that's what you wanted to do or
1: yeah it's a bit of a funny story in the sense I did I started off here at the local college so yeah. I did take university transfer at CNC for a year and a half yeah and then I went down to Vancouver with my eye set on being an accountant and I took my first semester there and found myself in these massive theaters with hundreds and hundreds of students in these entry-level accounting courses and kind of rethought. SFU, right? SFU, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I I kind of rethought my career choice for a couple of years. Um, I also took some organizational behavior courses and was really drawn to the human resource field.
0: So why? that particular course and organizational, human organizational?
1: Yeah, I just, I found um, when I was at university, I was just kind of really drawn into kind of the theory behind organizations, um, the attention on the people focus and sort of less so on the technical courses that were part of the accounting degree. Um, so I did switch um, and got most of the way, well, to my very last semester um, with an organizational behavior concentration. Right. And. I came back to Prince George. Then you got
0: a BBA right?
1: Yeah just about I was in the co-op program okay and I took a full year off doing kind of back-to-back co-op positions okay before I went back to my last semester and I found myself working actually I date myself a little bit but in the human resources department at Northwood okay at the time and I did eight months there and I really enjoyed it. Northwood is a lumber company in town
0: here right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah and I really enjoyed it Um, but when I went to do my last semester of school, all the courses I needed to graduate were at the same time. And so I fell into a four month job at Deloitte here, um, in the accounting field. And they offered me a full-time position as an articling student when I finished. So I had to quickly make up my mind if I wanted to be an accountant or if I wanted to be in HR and They offered to pay my tuition for my last semester and as any broke student you're kind of highly motivated by somebody else wanting to pay your tuition so i on a whim decided i'd go back to the accounting field and i found it to be quite an um quite an opportunistic um, field i've really enjoyed the career that it's allowed me to build i worked 10 years in public practice before i came into finance um, at Integris and yeah it's so it, it sort of started being my career choice I moved away from it and fell back into it and it turned out to be a good thing
0: so just to kind of look at it then so you got your BBA from U, which means what business
1: yeah Bachelor of Business Administration
0: administration so that then sets you up for then when you came back to prince george you got uh you became an articling student with deloitte touche mm-hmm. a, a national accounting firm yes yeah and then you started working on your ca
1: i did yeah and,
0: and what does ca stand for is that cpa CA, or what is it
1: yeah, so CA is sort of the legacy. It's chartered accountancy. Right. It's, uh, it's the legacy of CPA. Right. So CPA was an amalgamation between the certified management accountants and the chartered accountants. Right. Um, to create sort of these the, these new initials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you did that, and then from there on end, you want you at Deloitte Touche, and then you had to make a decision what direction you want to go. You said, and and then so where did you go from there?
1: Yeah so I came actually straight from Deloitte. Um, I had done both my taxation in depth as well as quite a bit of work in the audit field and about kind of the time when my youngest child was born and you know yeah, as a too. new mom. Yeah Boy, I, I have two boys. Yeah. yeah I have two boys. How old are you? My eldest boy is going to be 21 this year.
0: How old is how his And
1: name? his name is Zachary.
0: Zachary. Yeah. Nice. And, yeah. and the younger one?
1: And my younger boy, Jacob, just graduated from high school this year.
0: Say again? They, ja- just,
1: just graduated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and so so you have, they are kind of growing up right they, fast, you know? So
1: They sure are. But yeah. his
0: young, youngest one's name? Uh, Jacob. Jacob? Yeah. Jacob. J-O-C-O-B? J-A-C-O-B.
1: J-A-C-O-B.
0: Yeah it, yeah it sounds Dutch to me. You know, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah so about the time I was going back to work after my maternity leave with Jacob, um, Integris was kind of being formed. There had been an amalgamation of credit unions in the north and they had this new position of controller.
0: So the yeah and so that was the savings union what was it called again?
1: Yeah Prince George Saving Savings and
0: yeah. which is a uh, credit union Yep. And then Integris already was in a of other ones, right? Or uh, it... Yeah,
1: Integris was formed when Prince George and Savings and Quinnellan District and the Chaco Valley Credit Union in the West all came together yeah. um, and formed Integris Credit Union through yeah. an amalgamation.
0: That happened in the 90s or something? That
1: happened actually in 2003.
0: Oh, early in 2000. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then, when they again amalgamated to make it one large organization, mm-hmm. there was an opportunity for you to come on board.
1: Yeah, yeah. As,
0: as a... As
1: the controller. As so a controller. Yeah, bringing my kind okay. of accounting background into this new organization.
0: Bit of a new world for you, right then?
1: It, it was a very new world, you yeah. know, that transition from, you know, loans are not, liabilities their assets now exactly, exactly. <laughs> <That's> super confusing <laughs> exactly
0: exactly so you did that and then from there on in you started to move through the corporate world of the integris mm-hmm. and one from uh, being cfo if you wish a chief financial officer to a vp of something yeah to now you're in the place, you're the uh, CEO. Yeah,
1: that's what they tell me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, interesting career, but it sounds to me that your foundation was very appropriate for the position because a lot of the CEA jobs, CEO jobs, are relating to HR or human relationships. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of it does, right? Even your clientele. Yeah, yeah, human relationships are, are critically important.
1: Yeah, it's a really good opportunity to blend kind of that people interest and, you know, my my university education background in people with the finance side of, um, you know, the skills that my CPA brings for sure. But I would say, you know, even more so we lean heavily on people at this point.
0: Yeah now people would ask credit unions are they banks or what is the difference between them they lend money to people companies people whatever and then so do banks Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what's the difference between the one and the other if any
1: The biggest difference lies in its structure. So credit unions essentially are a cooperative. Um, So as a member of a credit union, you're also an owner of the credit union. Um, You have an opportunity to um, vote in the running of the credit union. We have a board of directors that's elected out of our membership. So as a member of the credit union, Um, should you feel so inclined you could have the opportunity to run for and serve on our board where um, our board is integral in forming the strategy of how we operate.
0: Elected um, by the membership. Elected
1: by the membership. How often? Um, so our Or do
0: they partially, sometimes what they do, they don't want to have the whole board leave all at once?
1: Yeah, so that's exactly how we're structured. Okay. So we kind of have a third and a third and a third yeah, yeah. Um, terms come up in any given year. So, yeah. you know, in every year there's an opportunity for people to come forward. Um, we're actually just sort of beginning the cycle now of, of kind of an election and nomination period um, okay. for our board. So I would say, you know, that is the primary difference is we're member owned Um, as a member, you can participate in how the credit union is, is structured and run. And then the other big thing is that, you know, majority of credit unions are really founded in that idea of local community. And so at Integris, we're one of those. So, you know, profits from the credit union come back and feed local community. Where I would, you know, let's say at the big banks, you know, profits go back to shareholders who may or may not be account holders. They go back to, you know, pretty beefy executive compensations, which very rarely has any role to play in, you know, our small communities. And so I I think, you know, it's, I, I liken the credit union to that shop local phenomenon of financial institutions
0: right so why would somebody want to be a member of a credit union or why would they do their banking at a credit union versus for lack of a better word a regular bank as we know it
1: yeah so there's lots of reasons you know a a lot of people choose to bank with a credit union because they like to make values-based decisions and so if Um, really supporting the community is something that ties close home to your values. You know, that may be one reason why you sort of feel aligned. You know, we all, many of us think fairly carefully about how we spend our money, um, you know, which organizations we wanted to support with our dollars as we spend them. Um, you know, we like to encourage people to think carefully about also where you keep your money, um, because where you keep your money can also make a big difference. Uh, you know, there's other reasons. You know, here in in Prince George, we are the only local full-service financial institution, and in many of our credit, in many of our locations, and so we're the only place where you can come and do your insurance business. Whether that's you need ICBC insurance for your vehicle or your recreation vehicle, whether you need you know a life insurance policy um whether you need some business for your the commercial enterprise it. we have the full scale of insurance services we have a full scale wealth division so any of your financial planning needs wealth needs um, estate planning um, all happens in-house and your banking and so you know there's There's no chartered banks where you can do all three of those things uh, when you walk in one single door so that that's a real advantage that convenience thing.
0: And and your clients are mainly individuals or does it involve corporations?
1: Yeah we have both Um, so we have a very large um, kind of personal individual um, retail portfolio retail membership Um, we also have you know quite a large small business um, membership and then, you know, we even service many of our larger commercial um, commercial members. And we have the ability as credit unions, although each credit union is completely independent from another credit union, the yeah. system is incredibly collaborative. Right. And so if our commercial members maybe outgrow, um, you know, the capacity of what we can do, um, we can often work together. We'll find other credit unions to collaborate. So if there's large commercial lending deals, we can work with other credit unions in order to meet meet some of our commercial needs. So that's you know another difference, I think from banks where you know typically they're quite competitive within and amongst each other. Yeah. Um, the credit union system can even be quite collaborative within and amongst each other.
0: Do you collaborate with regular banks?
1: not typically yeah. um, you know banks have a pretty deep capital pocket and yeah don't often need need the support of, of the the credit union system
0: yeah and then is there a limit to it uh, just for our guests that are looking out working and say they have this small company hypothetically speaking that started out with a few employees and all of a sudden immensely successful say and now it becomes a big company. But At, at what point do you say mm, a little bit bigger than we usually like to deal with?
1: Yeah, so we we do have to be a little bit careful with um, the total number, the total amount of deposits that we hold for any given member. Um, so, you know, I d- we don't have a particular number that fluctuates depending on of you know quite a number of factors so i wouldn't want to say if you have x amount of dollars you're too big for us but um you know it's certainly a conversation we love to have we have some really fantastic um commercial resource um, on our commercial team so you know we can service the financial needs in a way that we believe adds value from an expertise perspective right. for for quite large clients mm-hmm. quite large members
0: So what would you view your region in northern BC? Because you Mm -hmm. kind of accumulated, accumulated, accumulated. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so we've essentially defined our core service area as north central British Columbia. Um, We have a branch in Clinton um, and then our next most southern branch is Quesnel. Um, we're fairly respectful of the territory in between as as being a territory that is covered by our friends at Williams Lake and District Credit Union Um, and then our region so so we do service in and around kind of the Clinton Crash Creek area um, within and around you know Quinnell, Wells Barkerville um, then Prince George West to Fraser Lake Yeah. kind of northwest up to Fort St. James and then east you know we kind of consider we cover off that region right out sort of to the McBride Valmont we would consider that right. within our in our service region although we don't actually have a branch east of Prince George. Oh
0: but still yeah.
1: but we would yeah we would still consider that kind yeah. of our geographic and then region. And going west? Yeah and then going west um, out towards Fraser Lake
0: Fraser Lake and mm-hmm. then there are other credit unions in Smithers Terrace.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. our friends at Buckley Valley and District are yeah. kind of west beyond Fraser Lake. They kind of pick up in Burns Lake and over.
0: Yeah. So, still poised for growth?
1: Absolutely, you know, yeah. I think, COVID has, um, you know, in in the face of the challenges that it has brought us, um, it's also been a real leverage point for digital transformation in just about any industry area. And, you know, I would say probably financial services, maybe even quicker than others. And, you know, so of course it takes a certain scale in order to be able to, you know, meet that digital demand and kind of that base. I would say that the average consumer, no matter what you're trying to do, sort of their minimum expectations from a digital perspective have, have rapidly accelerated. And so, you know, growth certainly allows us to continue to meet those needs and make the investments that we need to make in the technology side. And there's a lot of potential in, in our region.
0: Yeah. And, and kind of looking at your buildings and your offices, you've steadily increased your footprint on Victoria mm-hmm. in 6th, I, I mm-hmm. think somewhere around there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you're definitely growing from that perspective. But uh, interesting. The, uh, so if you now kind of look at, obviously we are entering into a bit of a challenging period. Mm-hmm. in the world economy, and then we in North America are not separated from it. We, we saw the uh, the U.S. prime rate go up by 750 basis points today. And, uh, you know, the same has happened in Canada mm-hmm. with the purposes of slowing down the economy. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I forget about Canada, is about 8% inflation rate or somewhere around there. Yeah. So do you want to like to have it around two, three percent, four, maybe maximum? Yeah, I think so the target is average of three. So are they trying to is pull it three. off? Or what are they doing?
1: Yeah, they're really trying to use an increase in interest rates to kind of encourage the consumers to back off. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know I think this most recent um, interest rate hike did demonstrate that you know, we've kind of hit the point where it's starting to have an effect. Canada, are you are talking Canada or yeah, North America? Canada. Yeah, Um. And so I, I think we'll see, we, we do speculate that we'll see probably one more increase before the year is out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're certainly seeing it in our market here um, in Prince George, we're seeing housing sales kind of back off a little bit. Yeah. We're seeing, um, you know, Kind of the mortgages not close as quickly. You know, we saw a lot of um, consumers kind of amping themselves up and preparing for rising interest rates by doing a lot of sort of consolidation of some, you know, variable rate lending, higher interest borrowings, um, using the equity that has accumulated in homes as a result of increasing in increases right. in home prices, as a way of leveraging less expensive debt. Um, leading into this period and you know we're, we're seeing things definitely soften a little
0: so, so now what happens I'm con- say hypothetically speaking I'm a consumer in the marketplace and uh, uh, you know I have a young family and uh, you know we're thinking about buying a house but the prices have gone up to you know where it used to be 10 15 years ago three hundred thousand dollars was a big house my god, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, so it used to be hundred fifty-two hundred thousand, two fifty maybe for three-bedroom home, full basement. Now it's approaching eight, nine hundred thousand dollars, even getting close to a million.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know the, and then interest rates, mortgage rates were at two and a half, three mm-hmm. percent. Now they're double. Yeah, and then it becomes then to cool it off again. You know the to get a mortgage it's harder now because you know they will require more of a down payment they will require uh, you know stronger financials so we can Mm -hmm. service the debt right
1: yeah absolutely so
0: so what what, if you kind of look at it from a potential consumer perspective now Mm -hmm. you know the how do you see it at this particular moment,
1: I think for you know the average first-time homebuyer, young family, um, it, this certainly is posing some real challenges for people. Um, you know, in order to meet sort of the minimum debt servicing requirements, in order to get um, you know CMHC insurance, which typically first-time homebuyers and new homebuyers are looking to get, you know, the average base salary you need to qualify as prices have increased and interest rates are increasing is climbing and so we are seeing that a lot of young families are are priced out of this market right now you know i do hope that um, from an inflationary perspective that the end results you know are meaningful so that you know our our market you know i think we have to all put it into perspective because our market generally is quite affordable if you look at BC as a whole. So what we're seeing kind of in, you know, our region isn't nearly as pervasive as what's happening in the lower mainland and even in the Koot- in the Okanagan, the Kootenays where prices are that much Victoria. higher. Yeah. So I think, you know, for us if we want to think about, you know, our communities and the attractiveness of people coming to our communities, there's almost never been a better time. Um, But yet for families that have always grown up in these communities and have this expectation of things being able to be affordable, that sort of affordable metric has definitely climbed. Um, You know, I think the other big thing that is happening is that and, you know, it's been happening for a while, but you see it even more impactful is, you know, real estate, owning real estate used to be about having a home. It used to be about, you know, creating that, that place for your family to be. Real estate now is being perceived so much as an integral part of people's investment portfolios. And that's having a huge, huge impact on affordability of homes for families. So I think, you know, there's ways in which, um, you know, how we move forward and how we kind of support families Uh, To be able to purchase homes is going to be so much more important. Um, You know, one, you asked earlier about kind of why credit unions, what's the difference between credit unions and banks? And, you know, there's two things that can protect families where credit unions, I think, have a leg up on banks and one being on the deposit side. So, you know, credit unions have the privilege of offering 100% deposit guarantees. Um, So banks, you're limited to... A um, hundred thousand, you know, people kind of well so, spread around. The,
0: if something fails,
1: if something fails, you have a hundred percent on no ma- no minimums, be, be no maxes. A credit funds. union,
0: a bank, you don't have that. It's limited to whatever yeah. the bank may have set it to be. So uh, that, th- from a risk perspective, it is worrisome but that would only happen if the bank goes under
1: only happen so i mean the how, how likelihood often did of the
0: bank go under in canada
1: well not yeah in canada I, I, not in I, my I, career
0: <laughs> yeah i i know the, i know at least twice yeah. and the reason that i say because i was party to one you know the uh, the one was the home bank and mm. the 40s 30s in that area and the other one was northland bank yeah out of calgary and they had a branch here in prince george and we as a small company, they had a lot of our operating and our capital, uh, our lending uh, you know, for capital assets as well as operating facilities. And it's a different feeling if a mm-hmm. bank goes under and that went under quick and overnight, we didn't have any more access to our uh, uh, capital and not our operating facility. So there was quite an experience. So I just want to add that this has happened and we never expected, but it did, you know, and that was probably in the 80s, mid 80s, early 90s. Hmm. I still remember it like yesterday, actually. Yeah, those
1: those things tend to take a sting, you know, forget them quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So on the one side, that's the deposits. On the other side, you know, credit unions, you know, for those people who have, sort of been in the market for a mortgage lately, banks are required to stress test mortgage rates. So when you qualify and they calculate your minimum TDS and GDS, they have to stress test the rate so that let's they not just-
0: for, Let's talk about it for a little bit. Yep. You're saying stress rating, that they look at your assets, your liabilities, your commitments, uh, your earning ability, and, and then on the basis of that, then they calculate it that's why they call it stress testing, and now obviously what has happened that has become tighter and tighter, tighter. Uh, for so, how does that compare to from a bank to the credit union?
1: Yeah, so it, so it's very much what you say, but in a stress test environment, they'll take: Can you afford your payments? today not only can you afford your payments today so if you know if you're going in and the interest rate that you're being offered is 5% let's say they'll say they'll calculate everything can you afford your payments at a 5% interest rate but can you also afford your payments if the interest rate is say 8% and if you can't afford the stress test payment the banks aren't allowed to qualify you for your loan they're not, in, allowed, they're to. not allowed by not, regulation it's not a
0: choice they simply not allowed to. Yeah.
1: yeah, and by from the but by credit government. credit unions aren't under that same obligation. Right. You know, of course our regulator wants to make sure that we're aware of the risk. Yeah, so, yeah. you yeah. know, we do stress test them. Yeah. Um, we're careful to make the right decisions. Yeah. Um, but we can, if we choose, make an exception. However, yeah. you know, we want to be careful that we're not setting people up for yeah. for failure. It's really important that you know we're not granting credit to people who no. we don't think but, are. Going but to you be able are to no different it.
0: than a bank in the sense that every loan that you have is not only the loan officer that writes the loan and the management that approves the loan but it has to go through risk approval as well, just making sure that it meets all the commitments of the credit union, no different than a bank, but the stress in the bank is different.
1: Yeah, yes and no. Um, You know, that's another way in which I think we do differentiate our lenders at the credit union Are different than lenders at the bank in that we do our lenders have limits and so our lenders can make decisions for our members where at the banks typically that's exactly what you're saying you know there is sort of that back-end adjudication process that happens so you know lenders in a bank environment um, are typically taking care of the relationship with their member they're collecting the information that they need Um, They're helping members to fill out the forms, but the ultimate decision as to whether that individual gets credit or not is made elsewhere. Um, You know, it's often made in Toronto, it's often made a corporate office where here at the credit union, our lenders are able to make those decisions on the spot. So, you know, we can take things into consideration, big picture, Um, you know, sometimes we have the ability to be a bit more innovative. you know, we can, we can take the people into consideration a little bit more frequently.
0: You have to be a member to apply for a loan?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: a mortgage. So a person that is watching now, is it required to be being regional within your circle? Or does it include if somebody's sitting in Vancouver and saying, well, I'm gonna apply in Prince George for a mortgage and my house in Vancouver.
1: Yeah, so that's, you know, when I describe sort of what we would consider to be our geographic region, um, you know, we typically like to lend in our geographic region for a couple of reasons is, you know, we stand behind, you know, that difference of, you know, we are a community-based credit union and when we take our depositors dollars and tell our depositors we're reinvesting in your community we want to reinvest in our community exactly. so yeah. you know we want to be able to grant credit back to the people that live in our yeah. community and not send all of our dollars out of the community that
0: makes sense right
1: and it also helps us to manage risk as well you know we've we've got a pretty good sense about the risks within our region we know our communities we know our neighborhoods we know yeah. you know you can drive by and see that you know so for neighborhoods, People that are kind
0: of watching us from the region and we, we got a lot of people watching up to forty thousand people people an episode can you believe it wow and and uh, i i believe it's important for our people that are watching to understand that because the way i understand it in our dialogue is that being a member of a credit union may offer all kinds of benefits so mm-hmm. it doesn't eliminate you know, it doesn't mean you have to put all your banking there but just become a member and then once you're a member then you know there may be opportunities for whatever you do that way you can become involved with the credit union
1: yeah Yeah. and it's pretty easy process to be a member Um, you know you do have to buy shares Um, it's five bucks Um, cheaper than Starbucks coffee (laughs) Uh, as an individual as a business um, we require $25 share investment yeah and um, it's you know no more difficult than opening up a bank account anywhere straightforward yeah
0: you offer credit cards and uh, we do debit cards yeah all those things
1: all those all the things plus all the insurance all the things and the insurance too yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) interesting so just want to kind of go further now. Uh, obviously, you know, it's interesting for you and me sitting here because we are so aware of uh, the big R. Uh, you know, will there be a recession? Will there not mm-hmm. be a recession? What is a recession? I, I think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, a recession is three negative quarters of growth or lack of growth. Uh, technically, it would come be called a recession. But on the other hand, uh, you know, the there are some strange factors here that what you would expect if you're approaching a recession unemployment rates are going up but they're not you know we we, for all intents and purposes at three and a half percent or whatever it is we have full employment it is not possible to go virtually beyond that and and we find that on a daily basis in our company Mm -hmm. and and then the other thing that we find is a lot of people, and we all speculate to that co- post-COVID, mm-hmm. have taken a whole different approach to working, and even more importantly, to not working. So for us in our operation, we employ about 400 people, but in some of our operations are front of the shifts. Uh, here in Prince George, we have an operation in Van and, and in Houston, there may be 60 people on the shift, and 10 or 15 don't show up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like we could probably spend about four episodes talking about this. But, you know, you started kind of talking about that potential for recession. But yet we've got all of these other factors and we are in just a really unusual time. And, you know, I think we've seen in the last 18 months, you know, nationwide, like globally, you know, more people turn over their jobs looking for something else Um, you know i think this post-covid fatigue is real like it's people are tired they're you know those people that did have to kind of work in the front lines um, during covid and and our organization is no different you know financial services was an essential service through through covid and you know our members needed access to their money and you know, 50% of the demographics in our membership don't have online banking. They either choose not to, um, technology, access to internet, you know, in some of our smaller communities can be unreliable. And, you know, there's also this sort of learning curve that comes with it. So you've got, you know, these people that had to work frontline, they had potentially fears for their own personal health. Um, had stuff happening in their families, stress levels, you know, you talk about the sick time, you know, I think I read a recent article that, you know, in even recruiting efforts for the first time in many HR professionals careers, there's no shows to job interviews. Like that was unheard of before. But yet, yeah, we're potentially on the face of a recession. There's supposed to be this spike in unemployment. But yet, you know, I think we have 15 vacant positions at our organization right now. So do we. And we would love to fill them. And so do we. It's, you know, our staff are like, we need help. We want to double the size of (laughs) our
0: operations but we can't. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other part about it is, I'm talking to you about it because you, you're somewhat of an expert in it because you got your training. Oh. And, and you know, <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. You know, so, no, I'm just oh. being funny. But you and me kind of looking at it and saying yeah. that, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 we have a place in Victoria in, in North Sand And so usually on Fridays, I go there, come back on Sundays here to Prince George. And uh, you know, the. It's not uncommon, in fact, it's uncommon now if the plane is on time. Mm-hmm. So when I left, uh, I think Sunday afternoon, it uh, was already three quarters of an hour late.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then we board the plane, then we sit on the runway, and they said, okay, Vancouver doesn't want to." Release them ATC air traffic control Mm -hmm. uh, for 20 minutes because they got flow control problems Mm -hmm. the reason that they had flow control problems because they were short on it on on air traffic controls Mm -hmm. so it goes right to the economy we're trying to get rail cars Mm -hmm. here to put our product on the rail cars to ship it mainly to southern United States can't get any rail cars Mm -hmm. why? mainly related to no people available. Mm-hmm. And so there we are working towards the big R, the recession, full employment. Uh, the other thing that's supposed to happen and in, 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 in as we approach the recession, gas prices have come down. Mm-hmm. That was a bit of a racket anyway, in my mm-hmm. opinion, <laughs> but that then being said, but grocery cost is up, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, but it's slowly coming down. But, but, so the traditional indicators that we are used to, I think I've had my company for 47 years. I think I've seen seven recessions for all different durations. It's just like a roller coaster. And then, then 2007 to 2009, recession edging on depression you know and and that sort of a thing mm-hmm. so it then uh you know kind of makes you wonder and then it brings me back to northern bc if i think about COVID, you know which was a, quite an experience for all of us for two years mm-hmm. and and was devastating to a lot of people and then kind of looking at Vancouver, I spend a fair amount of time in Vancouver, we have an office there as well. And then, you know, people sitting in a car for an hour and a half to get to work, to get to work, and then going back, and it's going deeper and deeper into the Fraser Canyon in terms of affordability, what you were talking about, then and there are sit in apartment buildings with God knows how many doors in the apartment building and how many people all kind of squeeze together. Mm-hmm. The more I look at Northern BC, this comes back to what you were saying, is that affordability, I still believe that there is no better place to invest than here in Northern BC. Mm-hmm. And that applies to, from a health perspective, from an opportunity perspective in terms of educations. We have the, uh, the highest rated small university in Canada already for several years in the row, UNBC. Mm-hmm. We got the College of New Caledonia. We got, uh, if you look behind me, a brand new pool sitting here. And the infrastructure in the city is, is second to none, better all the time. And, uh, you know, and then all around us, we got thousands of lakes within a short distance, on the weekend I saw two black bears, I saw a moose, I saw deer. I saw, you know, wildlife all around us and we living in harmony with them mm-hmm. most of the times. And there is no better place to, uh, you know, for enjoying the, the rivers, the lakes, or, or if you like to bike or uh, cross bike or walk the West Coast Trail,
1: <laughs> we are going
0: to talk about that because oh, yeah, you did that, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there's no better place like that and I know you're an outdoors individual. We'll talk about that too in a minute but you know but but what I'm saying is that then if I look at Northern British Columbia uh, you know and then particular Prince George who is the capital of Northern British, British Columbia and that really took on the leadership role during the fires of 18 and 19 mm-hmm. Where it took the leadership role for all the communities coming together you know it it kind of changed you know who we are mm-hmm. and uh, you know and now looking forward uh, it's virtually untouched still in terms of opportunity if I look at the crossroads the roads the air the rail uh, you know the infrastructure in terms of uh, companies exploring for investments and and a number of different areas, mining, it may be uh, logistics, it may be warehousing, maybe lumber, it may be, th- there is so much opportunity here. And it's just here on the verge of, in my opinion, really exploding as we go forward in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And Prince George is still very, very much a location of choice, in my opinion, after the last five years and all the things that are going on around the world.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I truly believe in the resilience of the North here. And I think, you know, to to kind of provide examples, and I know you know this just as well Is you know, Prince George is full of people who came here for only three to five years and never left. (laughs) I think that's the majority of people's story when you kind of meet people who have been here for perceptively forever is, you know, oh, we came for three years for this and never left. We came for five years. Because I think once once you get here, the north really draws you in. I think you're persistent. You stick through that first year. You, you find your niche in the community. You find your lifestyle. And it's pretty tough not to get drawn in forever.
0: I agree. In 1965, July 65, when I came here, the common questions close to George Street you know was a rough place there were lots of bars and lots of uh all of that kind of stuff it was a boom town and the common conversation was when did you get here and when are you leaving yeah it was just a place to make money and get the hell out of here right so the uh you know that sort of a thing be be bluntly about you know so the uh so that being said uh then uh as you now kind of look forward, the economy looks strong. Considering, you know, the, uh, I believe that we will have, my opinion, a soft landing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, until some of the things settle out. I don't think it'd be a deep recession. That means hopefully, by next summer, things will ease up a bit. Maybe interest rates will kind of moderate a bit. But compared to some of the periods that we have, it's still not bad. There's still opportunities getting used to paying 6% markets versus two and a half or three is something that somebody has to get used to, but still doable here. There's still lots of underlying value in a home and an asset.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree.
0: Now the other thing I want to talk to you about, uh, you do a lot of stuff in the community.
1: I, I, I certainly have over time and it, you know, it's something that I really like to make space for and, um, You know, I think it takes everybody to make a community a great place to be. Yeah. 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 So what
0: in particular, where are you active right now? I know there were a number of things that you have been involved in. You still are involved in some of the areas.
1: Yeah. So right now um, I'm serving on the board for NDIT. Yeah. Um,
0: NDIT is? Yeah.
1: NDIT, Northern Development Initiative Trust. So I'm, um, I've just actually started my second three-year term for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I find that organization and sort of the economic development work that it does right across. Um, actually, I, I, I find the, the, and the northern part of it is a bit misleading because our footprint is quite a significant proportion of, of the province. Um, but yeah, the, the work that's done there, uh, and the impact that is had across communities is, is quite rewarding. Um, I was on the board for the Canada winter games. So yeah. when Prince George hosted Canada winter games, um, Immense success. that, that was a huge, and, you know, you talk a little bit about, you know, the role that Prince George played as a, as a hub, um, during the fires and, um kind of 2019 as being a big big turning point for Prince George. I think um, the 2015 Canada Winter Games were a real turning point I think for Prince George as well. You saw sort of the pride of the city really switch. I don't I don't know if you kind of felt that. I felt yeah. you, I I think you could feel yeah, for sure. feel that switch. Um it, you know tonight I'm going and supporting An organization that's quite kind of dear to me, which is Cassie and Friends. Um, There's sort of a family evening being put on um, for families in the north that kind of have a support network for each other around um, juvenile arthritis. And so that's something that.
0: Around what?
1: uh, Juvenile arthritis. Okay. um, So childhood um, autoimmune disease. Yeah. And, you know, over the years I've been, you know, more involved and less involved. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm a little bit less involved at this point. However, this is a really great opportunity to kind of support families on their journey with yeah. their children. Yeah. Um, I was quite active. I shared my younger son, Jacob is 18. So just graduated from high school. So we're just kind of finding our feet as we come out of the chaos years of being involved in every kind of sport you could think and that that takes up a lot of time as a a parent who kind of wants to be there and support those those endeavors and um, yeah it's i find you've
0: been quite involved in soccer and all those kind of things all around that right mainly around the kids
1: when jacob was younger i did do a lot of kind of supportive soccer soccer coach um, I think when he was about 12, I stopped coaching soccer yeah. because when the kids are a much better soccer player yeah. than the mom, it's time for the mom to not be the coach anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Amazing sport for the kids, and we have such amazing fields here and all the infrastructure for sports. Yeah. Now you are an athlete as well, so tell Tell me a bit about that because you do uh, (laughs) cross biking and you walking and
1: yeah I'm not sure if I would call myself an athlete or not but I I I have a I love to like work hard and play hard and you know I I guess certainly my interests lie more on the active side of things um we have a similar much in my history but I started up very involved in equestrian actually I was a Pony Club kid, uh, uh, three-day eventing, jumping, um, wow. dressage. Uh, I joke that when Dad stopped paying the bills for that I had to find my new sources of adrenaline. <laughs> uh, but Very expensive I, yeah, sport. yeah I'm quite active. We spend the winter kind of enjoying the local ski hills. We yeah. have a place at Potter King and we really enjoy kind of getting into the yeah. mountains most weekends. And then in the summertime, I'm a pretty avid mountain biker, and yeah. we spend a lot of time on the trails, kind of both within um, Prince George and outside. We've got some fantastic kind of trail development networks nope. in our region, Vailmont, yeah. um, Burns Lake. We were in Clearwater a couple of weekends ago. They have a yeah. fantastic little network. and Amazing. Yeah. yeah, but here in Prince George, the trails are are really awesome.
0: So when did you do the walk on the west coast uh, mm. there was 90 kilometers or something right yeah. that's a long one so it starts at you can start it either way yeah so, so we describe it to Bamfield. our international people <laughs> because this it, bc is such an amazing uh, uh province and country uh, you know from uh, you know, the beauty and is just amazing. You know?
1: it, yeah, it really is. So the West Coast Trail was has been a bucket list kind of goal of mine for a long, long time. Um, and this year I turned 50, And so with any good milestone birthday, you need to make sure you remind yourself that your body can still do hard things. That was my motivation. (laughs) And so some girlfriends and I decided that this would be the year we put the West Coast Trail kind of took it off the bucket list and put it on the actual list. Um, So we did um, from Bamfield to Port Renfrew. So we went from the north end of the trail to the south end of the trail. Um, because our research told us that's the easier way to do it. You um, get some of the flatter um, yeah the, the flatter, easier hiking while your backpack's still full of food. eat your way through your backpack and by the time you get to the techie hard climbing elevation changes of the end, your backpack's a little bit lighter and you know we were so fortunate to have fantastic weather that I think you know they're that easy to go hard wasn't kilometers. as much. Yeah, we, we took our time. We spread it out over six nights, six yeah, na- seven, even seven so. days. Um, some days were much longer than others. And um, I found for me that just kind of the environment that you're in took a week. You didn't have time to think about whether exactly. it was hard or long or like you say bc is a beautiful province and the views and just being by the ocean and um you know the beach trails and even the forests like the open cedar forests were beautiful even when you were kind of inland away from the beaches for the days and yeah it was it was pretty fantastic
0: Yeah, you see, you volunteered it yourself, you said you turned 50 and that's when you wanted to do that. Is that, you know, to keep your body and your mind active is so important at any age. And, uh, you know, and and, uh, so I'm going to turn 82 on November the 1st. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm uh, I'm apparently the oldest competitive bodybuilder in North America. I'm competing again. I think it's November the fourteenth oh, for, uh, for the Arnold's uh, NBC to then uh, allow me to compete in the Ar- the nationals as well as the Arnold's.
1: Oh, fantastic!
0: Age is just a number.
1: Age is just a number. Yeah, and
0: and to stay <laughs> physically active and mentally involved. Is critically important and then uh, everything is possible and uh, mm-hmm. you are just an example of that so am I you know
1: yeah excellent now, I also think it's super important as a leader to kind of set a pretty good example of downtime like I think that there's a bit of this you know busy stamp that you know it, sometimes it, we, we run ourselves on busy, busy, busy all yeah. the time as it being a badge, and I think it's so important to make sure that you carve downtime and plan for downtime and recharge, like ways yeah. in which you can recharge and bring yourself back energized. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably be more
0: effective if you yeah. do, you know? yeah yeah. Now the other thing that I did, that I did is uh, you know the, uh, I wrote a book against all odds. And I always say it took me 80 years to live it, 20 years to think about it, two years to write it. I don't know if you've seen it or not.
1: You know what? I, I have heard um, about uh, the book. I haven't, I haven't read it I'm going to get you a copy
0: yet. of it because I got it right here. Oh, okay. And I'm going to sign it for you. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, so, and then I did another one on this one. And this one came out about uh, two months ago, I think. And, uh, Less than two months ago, ADHD mm-hmm. unlocked. Now, you're familiar with ADHD? I, yeah, I sure am. I call it the superpower. I'm mm-hmm. a classic example of ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know until I was about 57. And then I talked to my doc about it when I was 62. And, uh, you know, and then I, I've been more vocal about it. Uh, you know, the, uh, 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 I failed grades three. Nobody fails grade three. <laughs> I failed grade seven three times. Hmm. And then they, they said, what are we gonna do with this guy? Send him to mentally challenged school or do we get him a job? Maybe make him a furniture maker. So I became a furniture maker. Hmm. And then I had this dream of going to Canada because we were liberated in nineteen forty four five by the Canadians. Had made such an impression on me. And then my dad worked in the lumber industry and I, That's what I wanted to do. And then I kind of felt I had failed, you know, because of Mm. this, but I didn't know what was underlying it. And I wanted to start right from the ground up and I thought I could do it. I wanted to build a mill. So when I arrived here in Prince George in July of 1975 at the old Greyhound station just up the street here, I uh, came off the bus, I couldn't speak the language, didn't know a soul, didn't have a job. I had one suitcase, two books, one set of clothes and $25.47. Hmm. You know, so (laughs) it's all in the book. So I'm going to give you a copy of the book and I'm going to sign it for you. And before we go, so I'm going to, this one has been extremely well-received internationally. I believe it will be a million copy seller, very timely. I wrote it in a way that it has, involves, 10 or 12 other people and actually the foreword it was written to the this again uh, ADHD unlocked by uh, a friend uh, that was Dr. Tracy Lotz mm-hmm. who's probably the best known medical doctor and emergency surgeon ADHD hmm. and and a number of other ones and uh, it is written in such a way that somebody that's affected by ADHD or slow learning and some people that are affected by trauma of some sort tend to sometimes be slow learners or slow readers, that you can open the book anywhere that you wish and start it there and then go back to the other one. Mm, great. Alison. Great, look forward that to it. It was a pleasure. Yeah, well, it was great talking
1: today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.